0: Yale
1: Podcast Network. Hi everyone, this is the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Michael Hoke. It may not feel like it everywhere, but a new baseball season is upon us. So what better time to talk about baseball's past, present, and future? And who better to talk about it with than the longtime baseball fan Susan Jacoby, whose recent book is called Why Baseball Matters. Susan, thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, even though even though the weather does not make it at
0: the moment. Baseball seem like it really is it is happening somewhere uh, down in
1: Florida. But... Yes, that's true. Well, as a I have to say up front that I am a, a Cleveland fan, so I have uh, endured many a wintry opening day. So this is nothing, nothing new. Oh, I know. I grew up in Chicago. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so even better. So speaking of, um, what was your what was your first baseball game? Was it a was it a Chicago Cubs White Sox game? my first my first live baseball
0: game or my first baseball game on television
1: well what was your first live baseball game
0: my first live baseball game i must have been about 6 was a game in Comiskey Park between the White Sox and the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees, as usual, creamed us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we all uh, I, have that. I grew, up,
0: I, I grew up hating the Yankees <laughs> because they were the enemy of the White Sox, which is <laughs> probably one of the main reasons I'm a Mets fan
1: now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, right. So what, what is it about, uh, about baseball that drew you in um, over other sports or just in general?
0: Well, as, as, I, as I, I, I mentioned in the opening of the book, uh, my grandfather owned a bar in Harvey, Illinois, which is a blue-collar town uh, just south of Chicago. So we were Southsiders, and we rooted for the Sox, the South Side team, although I did get taken to Cub games as well. But every Saturday for the, the years that we lived in Chicago, I'd go to my grandfather's bar. He invested very cleverly in the first and only color television set in the neighborhood. So of course the bar was just packed with, with guys on, on, on Sunday after Saturday afternoons, watching the ball game. And that's what I did. And that's how, that's how I really, I really learned the game because I spent all of that time watching the games on television. And, and, you know, then it was, you know, it wasn't very far after the radio era. So watching games on television was, was a big novelty. We also went to games, but not, not nearly as often as we watched them on TV. Obviously, uh, my grandfather had a business to run.
1: <laughs> you must have picked up quite a bit of, uh, of uh, good watching tip, tips and techniques w- uh, in a bar full of people watching baseball.
0: Well, I, I did. And, you know, it's partly, I realized, you know, that that all of the men in that bar uh, were, oh, let's see, we're talking about the the mid-1950s. And, you know, they were all men born in the last decade of the 19th century or the first decade of the 20th century. So it wasn't just It wasn't just the game, you know, learning what a double play was and, you know, how you you got tagged out and and why sometimes it looked like somebody was safe when they were out. (laughs) It was also they would talk about the history of the game. And so that so I grew up because I, I learned this from a lot of people who had been baseball fans all their lives in a very different era. I learned something also about the history of the game, about what it was like, uh, about what it was like listening to it on radio, about, you know, some of these guys were old enough that, that if, if you didn't live right in the city, you heard about the games that they telegraphed the score and the action inning by inning, and people would gather in little town squares to, uh, to you know to just to hear the the sort of sort of replayed play-by-play action so so i learned by i don't think by the way this is one of the points of my book and one of the difference today i think baseball is not a game you can learn overnight Mm -hmm. it's not a game you can appreciate overnight Uh, everybody i know who likes baseball who didn't really play when they were young and girls didn't then i mean i did i did of course play pickup softball about as badly as any kid ever did <laughs> but but you you don't learn baseball overnight you can't you can't know what's going on just like for example when you see people running back and forth on the basketball court while you may not know all the subtleties of the one-on-one defense or full court press you there's constant scoring, you understand what it means when the ball goes through the hoop it's easy It's easy to see, whereas a lot say of how you get to it either an out or a home run in baseball, it's not visible unless you know something about pitching and pitch location, and that i I learned you know probably before I was at least nine years old, and just mostly from listening to these old guys talk about it.
1: Yeah, I mean there is that that constant sort of battle of wits between the pitcher and the hitter. That it, it takes a little while to sort of pick up on the nuances of that.
0: It you know it takes more it takes more than a little while actually
1: <laughs> a lifetime. Uh,
0: it, it it also takes more than a little while say to understand you know why 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 an inside pitch on the corner might might be. Great to get most batters out, but but if the particular batter is somebody that's his meat, well then it's a bad pitch <laughs> to him. It can be a good pitch to ninety percent of players, but but a bad but a bad pitch to him. Those things those things are not learned overnight, and you know I think that unfortunately I'm talking about spending several hours every Saturday afternoon doing nothing but sitting around talking really. Mm. And that is also something, it's just very different from, from the culture today. People don't, in general, kids sit around for three hours listening to somebody else talk. People are used to seeing action right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and there are other sports, like basketball is one of them, that are better suited to the instant gratification we've all gotten used to as a result of, as a result of our devices. People, people don't generally watch, and, and I interviewed for this book, I interviewed a lot of high school students and college students who consider themselves fans, but they never, they never look at action on a screen in, in, within a game for more than 15 minutes at a time. And, and they all told me that that's that, that stretching it.
1: <laughs> well, and that, that brings up a good uh a good point. How how can baseball uh compete in an area in an era when immediacy or that instant gratification is, is prized? Well, I think I mean certainly
0: I interviewed both the commissioner of baseball and the head of the players union uh for this book. And I mean, that is something that baseball is grappling with, because, well, there's a, there's a real paradox in this sport. It's incredibly successful financially, partly because it's got a business bo- model that derives tremendous revenues from cable television, which, of course, didn't exist when I was growing up. Uh, financially, baseball has no problems. But it does have a problem in terms of the aging of its audience. Baseball has the oldest, the whitest, the most male fans of any major sport, it includes hockey, basketball, All, although it may surprise you to know that football is a close second. <laughs> now, now now that is uh, football things like the Super Bowl have much bigger audiences than any one game obviously in baseball does even if it's a great World Series like 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 we had in uh 2000 uh not last year 2017 but 2016 uh mm-hmm. when when the Cubs won for the Cubs, first time Cubs and and, well, when, yeah since you're yeah. a Cleveland
1: fan I know so, I was in I, Cleveland I didn't want to for bottom that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that's a really a... <laughs> Sore point. If you have to uh, lose, but, if you have to lose to any one team, I guess the Cubs, with their longest streak, is the one to lose to.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. In, in, in any case, though, uh, baseball has has this problem that a lot of a lot of a lot of people just are not geared to watch something that takes this long to unfold and can and can change gears excitingly at many points in the game, but that's not guaranteed when you go to any, to any game that it's going to be an exciting game. You know, you can go, you can go out to the park and, and sit there and there are boring baseball games, (laughs) very boring baseball games. Some of them, and and I don't mean necessarily low scoring games. Mm -hmm. They're just games Mm -hmm. uh, that the fact is, 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 is the team, I haven't got the statistic in front of me, even the, if you score three runs in the first inning, your chances of winning the game are something like 80%. <laughs> now, it's the 20% games we all remember, of course, yeah. uh, because memory is biased that way toward the unusual. But that's not the way that most baseball games are. And also, one of the things, I mean, like, like if you if you've been reading the coverage of spring training, you know, they're going through the usual thing i mean i mean the commissioner Mm -hmm. of baseball wants to shorten the games Mm -hmm. uh i i think whatever they try to do to do that it won't work and 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 the reason i do that can be found in the book in some of the comments from the high school students i ask the average game give or take five minutes last about three hours I asked them uh, all of the proposals about what to do about baseball, such as limiting the number of visits to the mound. You know, now, now an intentional walk. They don't have to throw the ball four times. The batter is just going to be awarded first base and all of that. These can shave at most five to ten minutes off the game. My view is, and I can't prove this quick, my view is if they were to shave an hour off the game, which is absolutely impossible unless they cut commercials out, which you know is (laughs) never going to happen. Uh, uh, If you were to shave an hour off the game, it wouldn't make any difference because two hours seems very long to the young as well. And I asked a lot of kids about this and they said it didn't make any difference to them whether a game lasted two hours or three hours. It was too long.
1: Well, I hear the uh, the Diamondbacks are bringing back the bullpen cart, so maybe that'll be maybe that'll be something. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, I don't
0: know, I don't know. I, I don't don't think for a minute that I'm saying baseball is going to die. It's mm. not, but I think that baseball has to, in terms of its aging, and it's disproportionately white. The only the only ethnic group. That has shown an increase in baseball are Hispanics, and and the, and the proportion of Hispanic fans has grown enormously in the last ten years, both at the at the ballpark, on English language TV, and on Spanish language TV. Uh, and and why wouldn't that be? Baseball is very popular in Latin America, mm-hmm. and and so what happens also is. Uh, the first generation immigrants may watch baseball live at the park or on Spanish language ESPN, but uh, their kids, they, they will watch it on, they will watch a lot of games uh, on English language TV because English, they're either totally bilingual or English is their first language.
1: Do you think something like the the World Baseball Classic, which doesn't happen every year, but is that is something like that helping, or is that does that make a difference at all? Do you think?
0: Uh, I don't think it makes a big difference. Although the audience for last year's World Baseball Classic was much higher was much higher than usual. Uh, I think what baseball has to do is realize where the areas of its weakness and reach out. Okay. I mean, one of the things—it's not. This is not a great surprise, and this is not original to me or to my book. The biggest predictor of whether you're going to be a fan as an adult is whether you played as a child. And I don't mean played at a high level. I mean played the game. <laughs> now, baseball—baseball baseball has a program now uh, in in urban neighborhoods designed to designed for you know it's called play ball and and it has a whole lot of ball and stick games and it's open to everybody including girls as well as boys but when you look at the pictures of the teams it's all boys uh one of the things that baseball has to do is actively encourage for example, it's very important for the well-being of a sport in the next generation to have female fans. Uh, women, first of all, they they still bear the freight of taking kids to sports programs in elementary school and middle school, even working, you know, women who work outside their homes do. Uh, baseball has a particular appeal for moms because— we now know a lot about, say, concussions in football. In baseball, once in a while, there's a concussion when two outfielders collide. But basically, when a concussion happens in baseball, it's an accident. It's not the point of the game. <laughs> People colliding into each other and bashing each other is the point of football. Uh, baseball would be enormously appealing, not not, not just to moms, but, uh, but I see for a lot of moms and dads they don't want their kids to play a sport in which concussions are not an accident but are a byproduct of what the game is properly played that is an enormous appeal an enormous appeal one of the things i uh, at the end of my book i wrote susan's 10 suggestions for major league baseball and the major league players association and one of them was send out all kinds of promotional appeals free games aimed at organizations for women of color, uh, because baseball has really lost a lot of its black fans. Mm -hmm. Again, moms have a lot to do. All this stuff about fathers playing catch with sons, uh, that's not, that's not the, that's not the reason about baseball that black fathers don't play catch with their black sons. I mean, I mean, I mean, really, in basketball, I mean, do you, do you have to play basketball with your dad? But in general, in general, uh, it, it is moms in black homes also who do the, who do the, the, the around with the kids and so on. And moms in black homes, are just as concerned as white mothers about concussions and things like that. Baseball needs to reach, make special appeals to those groups in which used to be a large part of the fan base, but aren't now.
1: So if you were, if you were made commissioner of major league baseball, uh, would yeah, that... just like Bart Giamatti, it's my fantasy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only he achieved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's right. Well, what what would you focus on first? Would it be this engagement, or would it be would it be something else? It would be two things. It would be the kind of engagement with
0: underrepresented fans I'm talking about, but it would be something else: the professionalization of youth sports in America. Is an underreported and underrated phenomenon. There, there are elite leagues beginning really after age 14, and so a, a a kid shows some talent, and you know is picked out for one of these elite leagues. There's there there are two problems with these elite leagues. One. It cost the parents roughly $3,000 a year. They travel. You know, when I was growing up, you know, playing Little League Baseball, you know, meant you played for the, you know, for the hardware store. (laughs) Traveled and competed with a hardware store team in the town that was five (laughs) miles away. I mean, that that was Little League Baseball. (laughs) These, These elite training leagues, they require traveling, you know, the whole baseball season. Serious traveling, you know, competing with teams, you know, within a hundred mile radius. uh, Professional training. uh, Things that that not just poor people, but lower middle income people cannot afford. And so that is a problem. But there is also a problem that we are seeing and which I was not able, unfortunately, to get anybody really to talk about, although Tony Clark, the head of the players' union, actually alluded to it. Baseball is placed at a level, that taught at a level in high school, that places a strain on developing bodies. When you're, say, a 16-year-old boy, and that's what you are when you're 16, you're a boy. When you're a 16-year-old boy, you're not anywhere near done with your growing, you know, you can see even when you see the, the few players who come up when they're 19 or 20, like, say, Dwight Gooden uh, back back in the 1980s, you can see that they develop and fill out. Uh, men do their final growing a lot later than women. I won't place any psychological emphasis on that, <laughs> <laughs> but men do their physical growing. They finish it up later than women do. And so you have a system in which kids are, you know, just encouraged to throw the hell out of the fastball mm-hmm. because that's, that's how you get picked, you know, in, in, you know, for the minor leagues. It's important, but they're doing this. They're placing this strain on their arms at a time when their bodies are not in any way fully developed. And there is a real problem for this. And I couldn't get anybody to tell me whether there have been any actual studies done. I can't believe there aren't, but it's nothing. You see allusions to it on the sports pages, but it's nothing that's been released. (laughs) The number of injuries, uh, look at what happened with the New York Mets last year. They had what was supposed to be the greatest pitching staff of young ages under the age of 26 in baseball. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them, Mm -hmm. but one, served Most of the season on the DL, they were people who had had Tommy John surgery, some of them before they were 20 years old. Now, Tommy John surgery, and I imagine anybody who's listening to this podcast knows what it is, Uh, you know, it's to fix the ligament in an elbow. Mm -hmm. Well, the original Tommy John, i.e. the first Tommy John, had this surgery when he was 30 years old and he was a much better pitcher afterwards but he wasn't a fastball pitcher. Tommy John was an extremely successful major league pitcher who, you know, never threw a ball over 90 miles an hour. <laughs> never. <laughs> but but when kids are asked to do these things which were something that 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 even let, let's say let's just go back 25 years ago which wasn't wasn't the case. People didn't come up. It was very unusual when somebody came up and was throwing 100 miles an hour or 95 miles an hour. Now that's who they bring up. But when you think that a lot of them have been encouraged to do that since high school, what I would like to see, which doesn't exist, and I asked all of the professional baseball people I interviewed, is there a study... that that tells me how many of the first-round draft picks brought up by the age of 21, how much time they spend on the DL in their first two years of Major League Baseball. This is certainly an answer that statsy people could get. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so far, nobody has put it all together, because believe me, I ask. (laughs) And I don't think, frankly, I don't think right now any of the people who run baseball want to know Mm -hmm. Uh, because because it uh, it affects the entire way that youth sports before they get to the professional level are managed.
1: Do you think part of this is that the path to the majors is a little bit maybe more burdensome on the pro level f- for baseball than it is in other sports? If you get if you get drafted to an NFL team or, or an NBA team, you're you may be on the bench, but you're on the team, whereas you might spend five, six years, you know, making $20,000 a year in, the, in, in single A ball, uh, hopping on buses and traveling around. Do you think that's part of what? Actually, actually,
0: I don't think that has a lot to do with it. First of all nobody spends five or six years in the people who spend five or six years in the minors in spite of bull Durham. Uh, (laughs) there aren't very many, there aren't very many lifers in the minor leagues. Uh, people who've been, and, and in fact that, 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 that is a kind of tragedy. And there have been things written about this, which is that, which is that if, if, if you are smart, uh, Uh, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't make it to the top level of the minor leagues in three years, so that you're in a position to be brought up to the show, uh, you're wasting your time. Hmm. It's not going to happen anymore, any more than it, any more than it happened for, for, for uh, the hero in Bull Durham. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: That's not going to happen, Mm -hmm. but, but it is, and again, it's a problem in all sports, but it, it's not unique. There are, there, are, there are universities which have excellent baseball programs, which are basically fast tracks to the higher levels of the minor leagues. And that's nothing, that's nothing new. Stanford, the University of Arizona... You know people like Reggie Jackson you know came up through college, and you know they don't move to they don't move to you know they spend a month in in a ball and you know they <laughs> they're up they're up to the triple a's before you know before you can say uh, take me out to the ball game
1: <laughs> so you and Casey Stengel are, are two people who won't <laughs> who won't make predictions about the future um but do you see baseball uh does it have a staying power does it stick around at the level of it, it's at or does it uh does it start to decline?
0: Uh, I don't know. However, I wouldn't have written this book if I didn't think baseball had a future. First of all, <laughs> having interviewed people in baseball with slightly different views like Tony Clark and Rob Manfred the commissioner of baseball uh I do think that baseball is aware of its problems. Mm-hmm. I do feel that baseball has a special hold on the American imagination. I just don't think, I think that, the. I think the hope is baseball is trying to figure out how to deal with these other social factors. And they aren't, you know, they really aren't inherent in the game itself it's a game at a pace that is at odds with the pace of the culture the thing about baseball but this is part of its appeal as as well as what's at odds with the culture is you can't control it you you try i mean baseball baseball it can break your heart just because of the thing that you gotta get three outs no matter what. I mean, I you know, I could talk about about games and I was not going to do this, but I just have to. That's <laughs> all there is to it. I mean I mean, look at look at look at that the seventh game of the twenty sixteen <laughs> yeah. Cleveland yeah. Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Or the or the ninety seven
1: game against the Marlins, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, and these things are all in extra innings. And, and the, the sixth game of the 1986 World Series between the Mets and the Boston Red Sox. What? <laughs> it's almost midnight. I'm watching it. Uh, the Mets are down by two runs with two outs in the 10th inning. I almost turned it off. I thought I just can't you know, I know too much about baseball statistics to know how utterly improbable what happened was. So you know but, but I just couldn't. I felt, you know, as a true fan, I just had to be around there to see the rotten ending which yeah. I was sure it was going to be. And then then you have with two out. You have not what you would think would happen. Which was, if you're a real baseball fan, you'd think, well, the only way this game could get tied is somebody walks and somebody hits a home run. <laughs> but no. They, 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 when Carter hits a single, Kevin Mitchell hits a single, uh, Ray Knight hits a single. And then there's the, the final thing, you know, still very painful to Boston fans, even though they've won a World Series since then, of the ball going through Bill Buckner's legs. <laughs> And Ray Knight stamping on the plate. This is now. This is not what baseball is. It really, it really isn't. But it can happen, which is why it's a game with a kind of unique appeal. Even though you know, as a real fan, you know how unlikely this ending it is. As a real fan, you also know it can happen because if you're as crazy as I am, uh, you really. Uh, I am so looking forward to being able to see baseball games again.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, the book is Why Baseball Matters. Susan, thank you for coming on today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. That does it for this week's episode. You can find more at yalebooks.yale.edu or on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your favorite app. And if you like what we're doing, please subscribe and leave us a rating because it really helps out.